for everyone else, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Just want to say also, just as folks are going back, wanted to just mention briefly too, uh, obviously missed being here last week. I was in uh, serving with some doing some training and then serving with Sovereign Grace Churches, our, our denomination our part, um, that we're affiliated with. So doing, I was in Philadelphia and New Jersey and Delaware and a couple other places. So just helping, kind of both receiving training and then also just kind of helping guys that are uh, just fellow pastors and in their circumstances and walking through different, different stuff with them. So anyway, just a, a joy to do. It went well. I think things went well and it really was a highlight to be there last week. And I know several of you just mentioned that you're praying for us and praying for our time. So, so thank you. But I, I genuinely never like being gone on Sunday. So I, it was, it really was good to do what we were doing, but this is just home. So I'm really glad that um, here with you this week and uh, just a joy to, to be here every Sunday. So anyway, as you turn to Nehemiah chapter four, um, you know, by just there was about 100 years ago, there was a general named John Perishing. So if you know military history, probably most of you would know the name John Perishing. John Perishing, with, without a doubt, was one of the finest military leaders in our nation's history. So he was a West Point grad. He's actually one of only two men ever to be a general with six stars. So, you know, the five-star general is normally the highest star, but he was one of two men in our history to have six stars. So just the highest of ranks, the other one being George Washington. So the other six-star general in our history is George Washington. This was the other one. He led, really, most of the American efforts in World War I in Europe. He was sort of directly over men like General Patton and sort of the heroes of World War II. He was the guy who sort of was, it was integral to their training and their success. And anyway, so this, this is this guy, and he, and he earned the nickname Blackjack. So it was even, the, you know, so John, John and Jack are like nicknames for each other. I don't really know, but it's like everybody who's named John goes by Jack. Um, Anyway, he, nicknamed, he earned the nickname Blackjack, but really the reason, there were several reasons for this, but, and the name had a lot of meanings, but one of them was just because of how, how strict he was, and he was just this highly disciplined man, and just enforced sort of the highest discipline on all his men and all his soldiers. He worked his men as hard as they could be worked, and so the story goes that one time he was, he was just pushing his, his, you know, his training really hard and just kept pushing them and pushing them, and you know, they're, just disgu- they're discouraged and they're weary. You know, it's just one of these things you know, where they're just at the end. You know, and these were like, I mean, I'll just say the guys who fought in World War I, too, like, they're not like me. I mean, these are men out there. I mean, when they're getting tired, like, you know, it's, it's really something, right? And so he's just pushing them and pushing them, and he's just running the same drill over and over again. And the, in the movie that runs in my mind about this scene, it's, it's cold and it's rainy and it's dark. And one of the, the men under the general, just, he came and asked them, and he just, General, do you think we need to keep going? Like, just feels like we're just pushing them to exhaustion. I, listen, at this point, I don't think they're going to forget what you're saying. And, and his response was just, well, listen, there, you just need to recognize there's a difference between forgetting and remembering when it really matters. There's a difference between forgetting and remembering when it really matters. And I need to know that they're going to remember when it really matters. And what he was getting at is, listen, it's one thing to kind of know in a classroom sense of what you're supposed to do on the battlefield. It's one thing when you're hearing sort of the instructor to be able to say, okay, that's, that's the scenario in which I would do this. But it's another when the bullets are flying and the enemy is real and they're surrounding you and there's just sort of the fog of war to know exactly what to do and exactly where to turn. And in our passage this morning, the people of God find themselves surrounded by the enemy and they are being accused by the enemy. They are dispirited. They are just being, so in a sense, being lobbed at against by the enemy 
and they are wondering what to do. And Nehemiah's instruction to this people who was dispirited, who was being attacked, was sort of in the sense in their own fog of war moment was very simple. It's the same call that he gives them, is the same call he would give us as we are on our mission as God's people. And it's simply this, to remember the Lord. To remember the Lord. But to remember the Lord, not in just a theoretical classroom kind of way, but in our life, in our trial, on our mission, with whatever it is we are experiencing from the enemy. To have our instincts trained to remember the Lord. And as we turn to Nehemiah 4, just a reminder of where we're at, Nehemiah is the last book in the Old Testament in terms of chronology, so in sort of, sort of the timeline of the Old Testament. This is at the end of the history section. God's people were in exile, but they have returned back, and they are now in Jerusalem. They are rebuilding the city. The temple has been rebuilt, and they're now rebuilding the city and the walls. But not only are they physically rebuilding the city, they are being be rebuilt as a people because this is a people that had spiraled into sin. And through the first three chapters, through Nehemiah's leadership, things are, are beginning to go well. And in chapter 3, we see that the work was really beginning to take hold and that the people of the city were all joining in. But then in chapter 4, we see that the opposition now comes in full, in full force. So let's read chapter 4 together. Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down the wall of their stone, or the, he will break down their stone wall. Verse 4, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come, again, to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set, a protection, and set up a guard as a protection against them day and night. Verse 10, and in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and I arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half, my, half of my servants worked on construction and the other half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders who stood, 
stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who, were, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rallied to us there, our God will fight for us. Verse 21, so we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may, and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. So in chapter 4, we see that God's people are pressed, and they are oppressed, that they, but yet they continue the work, and they literally you just see this vision, or this this. this this, this picture of they are continuing the work, but they're also continuing to guard, right? So they're, they have guards set up around the clock, and, and they're literally sort of holding a sword with one hand and holding their tool or their shovel in the other hand. And so the, the work continues as they answered the call of God, as they continued on their mission, because they answered the call of God. And Nehemiah's call to them, as it, it, to them as it is to us is to simply this. In the midst of trial, in the midst of enemies, in the midst of the work that we need to do, is to remember the Lord, to remember the Lord. We're going to look at that in four points this morning. Four points we're going to be looking at this morning. And, and point number one is our challenge to remember. Our challenge to remember. So here, verse 14, really acts as this hinged verse for the entire passage. It's, it's, it's really sort of the, the, the main idea of this passage, or sort of if, if whether the turning point of this passage, right? So in the first half, you have sort of the people just oppressing them again and again and again. You sort of have wave one, and then oh, that didn't work, and the people began to work, and then wave two comes, and then the people start to retreat a little bit and start to have this fear. But, but verse 14 sort of acts as this hinged verse as they're scared, as the work stops, that Nehemiah gives this call and command to, to remember the Lord. And then the rest of the chapter, we see what that looked like, how they, were, how they, how they went back to work and, and continued on the mission, but how the manner in which they worked, sort of being that remembering the Lord meant both working and being on guard against the enemy. But we need to see what, what he's saying about remembering the Lord isn't just, hey, kind of recall to memory who the Lord is right? Or just, hey, reminder, the Lord's still with us. Okay, let's keep going. This isn't, it isn't like that. Like in my office, I've got, like the way I work is I don't like really like tech reminders. Like I don't really do those well, like when there's reminders on my phone. So I just have like, I'm just keeping the post-it note industry alive. So I just have like post-it notes for like every task I have and I just write it down. I take it off. You know, it's just, it's a series of post-it notes. Like I'll have like middle of the night points and something. I'm just writing it down on a post-it note and just, you know, it's, and it makes sense in my own mind. But but those are just sort of like reminder of a task, right? That's okay, yep, don't want to forget that, so that's, that's remembering. This isn't that type of remembering that Nehemiah is calling to mind. This is much more the way that the general in war is saying, hey, now, your instincts need to know immediately where to go. As the bullets are flying, as you're facing opposition, when the fog and the reality of trial and opposition is setting in, what do you do? Your instincts need to immediately think to remember the Lord. And we need to recognize in life, in 
this world, things will get messy. And as even as Leo was saying this morning, we will simply forget the Lord. So here we see that the enemies that are against them, in verse 1, Sanballat is leading the charge, but, but others are joining in in the mocking, and we've covered this before, but, but Sanballat, is, he, he's a governor, he, he is a high official in the land. And then they, the others join in in mocking, and, and even initially that didn't seem to work, right? For the first wave, that didn't seem to work, but then what, what happens is they, they've just started off all again in verse 7. And so Sanballat and Tobiah, Tobiah and the Ashadites, they're all joining in against them. It's just this constant and continued opposition of God's people. So here, here's the scene. As they're in Jerusalem, as they begin, you know, continue the work, it's not just sort of like, all right, there was this group of people who were opposed to them. They are surrounded by their enemies. So they have Samaria to, Samaria, Samaria to the north, they have the Arabs to the south, they have Amon to the east, they have Ashdor to the west, and these are just states that are against them. Their governors are here represented as being against them. You see here that they have armies with them as they're, as they're taunting God's people. And, and Judah has the, the backing of the king, right? But even the king, that, that, that backing at this point is on paper, and he's not there, and he's hundreds of miles away. He is months away. And so the enemy is bringing mockery and accusations which we'll touch more on in just a minute, but they are teaming up against them. Verse 8 says they are plotting together that they are threatening even death to them. Verse 2 notes that, they are, that they're all there, that armies are standing with them as they threaten God's people. So they accuse God's people in verses 2 and 3 of just this, what are these feeble Jews doing? Just, these people are incompetent. Will they restore this burnt down wall? Like, this is just piles of rubbish. This work is just so far beyond what they could do. This is so far beyond their expertise and their ability. Their opening question, will these people sacrifice for this? Listen, Nehemiah, you don't need to give one good speech and sort of just rally the, 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 the workers. This is years of dedication and of labor and of sacrifice. It is beyond you. Aren't you the same people that like kept starting and stopping the work? Yeah, okay, you're just gonna stop again. Oh, and the materials you're using, listen, you can have a fox run across. It's just going to crumble down to the ground. It's, that's how weak it is. That, this is some defense you've built, right? They're just, they're just mocking them. And there's various amounts of truth in each of the accusations. Some have no truth at all. But, 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 but what they were trying to do and what the enemy was doing is they, they were speaking to where the people of God felt the weakest and the most vulnerable and the most insecure. They were... They were, they were seeking to, make, to remind them of their isolation, and they were, they were reminding them of their weakness and reminding them of their fear, and at some point it began to work. So verse 10 says, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. So you have the opponent, and you have the accusations, you have the sense that they are just an isolated people, and all of a sudden what started to take hold is, is all those things were getting bigger in their view than who their God was. And so here you have the world attacking. We know that Satan was behind the plot to stop the advance of God's kingdom. And now even their own flesh is failing them. And in our world, here and now, we are opposed by the world and by Satan, by our own sinful nature. So these are all at war against God's people. 
World War II, as, it, as technology advanced and sort of particularly like, um, like what, um, John, what would be the airline technology? What would be the right word for that? Uh, planes advanced and what we could do. Aerospace engineering, that's a good word. Um, that's what I meant to say. As aerospace engineering, aviation, all, all better words than airplanes. Um, as all these flighty things were advancing and the technology that was, was going on, right, there was this debate that started in World War II of how, what's the best way to bomb the enemy? So there was this, really, between, especially between Great Britain and the U.S., there was these debates over, like, what's the best way to do it? Because there was one school of thought that just said, you just throw as many bombs at as many targets as you can. You just don't, you don't really try to be strategic. You just sort of drop as much as you can. And the other school of thought was like, no, you know, that's a waste of resources. We've got to just be really kind of as much as we can be pinpoint accurate and just try to, if we can take them out at one spot, we can just sort of upset the whole chain of everything. And so there's this debate of, of what's going on, much more the way we would think of, of missiles, that if we can just sort of hit particular targets, we don't need to hit everything. If we can just hit one or two things, that's just going to throw them off enough. And, and no, at times, sort of the enemy will try both against God's people, right? The enemies will just try to throw everything they can at God's people. And at times, they're going to be very strategic and not try to hit everything, but just try to hit particular weaknesses, particular vulnerabilities. And here, that's what the enemy is doing. They're not throwing every lob they can, but they're, they're trying to hit just sort of particular strategic strikes. And in most of our lives, that's, that's what the enemy wants to do is leave us with these direct hits that leave us vulnerable. So he's taking their fears, he's taking sort of their, the, the, the way that he's just taking their fears and he's removing God out of the equation and as he's doing that, it's just hitting this nerve of this people. So he's throwing at them, not everything that could, they could be accused of, but that, hey, you're, you're insufficient and you're isolated, that you are incapable, that the job is up to you, but really you're not up to the job. And it, you could see in this passage, it began to take hold as they began to lose heart for the mission that they were on. And I wonder just in our own lives, what, what accusation in some way has, has just taken strategic hold in your heart? You know, I doubt it's this general just sort of sentiment of, oh, you're just a bad parent. But is there, is there an area where, where there's just this accusation of, you know, because of your sin, because of your weakness in, in this one area, that grace will never really take hold of your child's heart in this one way. Or, or in your marriage, is there a particular area that sort of, that there's just sort of, hey, you know that, that area that you're just sort of stuck in your marriage right now? Yeah, that, that's what reality is. That's, that's the way it's just always going to be. I wonder if there's a particular resistance to the church in this community that just seems too powerful, that sort of, boy... The, the, the need is grow so great and the church is too insufficient to, to really just sort of, to, to sort of to have an impact on the community. I wonder is just whatever age you are, as you, as you look into your future, if there's a particular doubt that lingers in the back of your mind, not, not whether God's good, but just whether in this way he, he, he is good to me. I wonder if there's just some area where fear has more framed the perspective as you look into the future, that there's just some area where, where fear has just worked, okay, yeah, that's, that's the lenses in which I see my future through. We need to recognize that this call to remember the Lord is not simple because, because they and we live our lives, we are just constantly taking shots of the enemy outside and inside, and we need to see the challenge. We need to take this seriously, that, that this is an active call that we must remember the Lord. The second thing, 
Second point I want to look at is what we remember. What we remember. So here it is clear. It's a call to remember the Lord. But, but Nehemiah is not sitting around and sort of having this vague, okay, let's everybody circle up and, hey, what does Yahweh mean to you? You know, what do you feel like Yahweh is? You know, who do you feel he is? And let's just sort of throw out some vague notions that make us feel good, right? Now, this isn't, this isn't that. This is, hey, remember, okay, the enemy is surrounding us. He intends to harm us. Okay, hey, God's people, who, who is stronger, the enemy or God? Okay, they are trying to stop his purposes. Okay, let's remember, can anyone thwart the plans of God? Okay, do you, you feel isolated? Okay, has God ever forsaken any of his people? That's why he, he calls them, to, listen, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Our Lord is great and awesome. Verse 20 says, our God will fight for us. The enemies are real and they are strong and they are multiple and they are in your face and in your ear. You don't need to minimize the enemy. Their accusations at time even seem to be hitting a little close to home. You don't, you don't need to deny any of that but what nehemiah calls them to with the with the greatness of god and the awesomeness of god is just this need to recognize that they are nothing compared to an awesome god that they can band together they can plot and they can scheme against us psalm 2 says the lord laughs as the nations rage against him God is the one who splits the sea. He's the one that brings water from a rock. And, and Nehemiah is calling them to remember him. That God is the one who calls down and brings down kings and kingdoms. See, what Nehemiah is doing is he, he is he's forming their perspective because God's opponents and, and trials and just our own limited vantage point has a way of, of trying to, to frame what reality is or what truth is or what our identity is. But God is the one who frames who, what reality is and what truth is and what our, what our identity is. That God is the one who leads his people through the valley of the shadow of death to, and he is the one who leads them beside still waters. That he is the one who never loses any of his people along the way. So you see, their accusations are about how weak they are as a people. And if the mission of God, and if the mission was up to God's people, it, it would be game over. But what you see, what the enemy left out was, was the most important part of their identity, was the ultimate reason for surety in their mission, was the, the security that his people should have, is that our God fights for us. And our God never loses, and our God never gives up an inch of ground. Our God never surrenders one of his own. So in this call to remember, it's not, he, he's sort of reminding me, listen, God's not like a factor in your fight. He's not a factor in our struggle, in our mission. He's, he's all we got. He doesn't claim anything of them. He doesn't remind them, well, remember, remember how good we are. He doesn't start listing all the ways, but we're God's people. Here, here's, here's the laundry list of things that we can sort of boast in in ourselves. He doesn't list any of that. All he says is, our God is great. Our God is awesome. Our God will fight for us. He's all we got. And in that, he's just saying, he's all we need. Our Lord is great. And awesome and will fight for his people. Point three is how we remember. How we remember. So not only does he call the people of God to remember, here Nehemiah really just gives a study in, in how do we do that. So first we just notice again, we just see this theme, it's in every chapter so far in Nehemiah, but just of how 
of just how instinctive prayer is. So, okay, the accusations are, are saying all these things. They're lobbing charges against it. Verses 2 and 3 are just this, this, just this list of accusations, this list of attacks from the enemy. And what does he do in verse 4 immediately? Hear our prayer. He just immediately turns and launches into prayer. He's under attack, and so he immediately goes to God. So, so we see this case study. Listen, you want to remember the Lord. Don't try everything else. Don't put on sort of a, like a 10-step program and hopefully the Lord will be at the end of it. It's just immediately, and, and just hope we sort of stumble upon it. It's just immediately go to the Lord, go to prayer in the Lord. So, so what we see here is to remember the Lord, it, 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 it's an act of our will. It's not primarily about our memory, but it's an act of our will to go to the Lord and to remember him. And then he, uh, he reminds them of his character and of his holiness of the concern God has for the mission, remembers that, hey, this is the God who fights for us. Now, I wonder if when he was, when he was talking to them and when they, were, when they were gathering together, if he wasn't just remembering, hey, our God fights for us in some general way, but if he was, if he was reminding them of the times that he, he fought for them, if he would have reminded them of not just in history how he fought, like like the Exodus or, you know, in history, like the way that, you know, our brother is escaping from places like the fiery furnace. But I wonder if he had in mind, listen, our God fights for us. That's why we're here, not in exile. He fights for us. That's why the wall is being built, because God's still on the mission to protect and preserve his people. And he's still on the throne. I wonder if he's reminding them, hey, remember how God showed his favor to, 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 through the king that, and the king, was also, like the king was humanly protecting us and led us here? That if he was reminding them not just of sort of history in general in the way that God protects his people, but, but of their own history in the way that, that girl, their God has fought for them. And so when we, when we think of the story, the, the, the grand story of Scripture, we, we need to see that God fights for his people. But when we think of our own lives and our own story, we need to see that, that God fights for us. We, we can't just be sort of have this vague notion of, yep, God, God, God fights for us. But we need to recall at times, just, I mean, if we took one minute just to remind ourselves of just, here, here's the way he is, he has fought for me. Here, here's the victories that he has, he has secured in my life. Here's the way he has led me. I mean, if we were just to start recounting this, we, we'd never have a reason to, to wonder and to doubt again. So we see that he, he turns to prayer, he turns to reminder of God's character. And in some ways, we, we see how, how Nehemiah responds in verse 14, responding to the despair and the discouragement of the people, in a sense, by, by, by preaching. He is calling them to sort of to apply what they know of God to their situation, to, to apply their knowledge and to have it be lived out in their life and in their, this moment. This wasn't just sort of some vague call of, okay, here's God, like it was, okay, Take what we know of God and we need to apply it to right now. So one way we remember as a people in the midst of whatever the world is throwing against his people is by gathering to hear his word and to hear it applied to our lives. That's why every week we gather to hear that God is greater than his enemies, that God is the one who silences the accuser, that our sin does not overcome God's mercy, to hear his character, not through our own limited view of, of the story, but through his word. So we gather every week as a people to hear preaching. You don't gather every week to hear preaching because you've got the world's greatest preacher. And I know you're arguing with that point, but it, but it, but it really is true. And if you're a guest and you're new, it, no, it's true. Um, but we don't gather right because of the greatness of the preacher. We gather because God, in this, 
God is revealed in this book, and that what is revealed in this book is that he is a great and awesome God, and every week we need to hear it. Because every week, Satan and our own sin and our world loves to tell us a false narrative. So we need to gather every week to hear the truth. And that's why we gather in places like Care Group and why we have community together. Because every week, we need to be reminded that, that they don't frame reality, that God alone frames reality. And that God is at work, not just in general, He is at work in our lives and in our soul at this moment. That's why we regularly try to take the Lord's Supper together because here's what this line of people that comes every, every, whenever we take it is about every, every person who comes up comes up with trial and has discouragement and has fear and has sins and has anxiety. Every, every person that comes up is recognized, I, I have all these things, but I take this because Jesus Christ has answered all these things. Because Jesus Christ is greater than anything I'm bringing to the table. What, what Jesus Christ has, has, has accomplished for me conquers all these things. And so we, we, we take the Lord's Supper together to remind ourselves that this is what reality is. This is who our Lord is. And so we can remember the Lord together. Point four is the result of remembering. The result of remembering. So here's what happens when they remember the lord so you have right fears coming enemies surrounding them they have discouragement at hand but when they remember the lord here's how it's described in verse 21 and so we labored verse 6 the people had a mind to work see the the results that we see here isn't this passive okay the lord's going to fight for us all right do your fighting lord it was this oh he fights for me he fights for us so victory is assured all right so we fight along with them, and we fight, not as, we, we fight not as victims of circumstance, not as victims of the enemies, not as victims of my own sin, but we fight as victors because the Lord is the one who is fights for us. And so they fight, and as they fight, they rebuild, they continue the mission, they, they link arms, and they link arms to do what for, verse 14 says, they, they fight for their brothers and their sons and their daughters and their wives and their homes. And they do so with, with what verse 13 says, with swords and spears and bows. And verse 16 says, with shields and armor. Verse 17, they worked with one hand and they had armor in the other. Verse 21 says that they labored around the clock. Verse 22 says, each kept his weapon in his hand. Each kept their battle clothes on all the time. They were just always fighting. They were always on this mission. They were always aware that the enemy's there. But God fights for us, so we're going to keep working. The fact that God fought for them did not discount the enemy. It gave them faith to join the fight. God fighting for them was not, all right, good. Now there's just nothing for us to do, but we'll just kind of run out the clock. It was immediately, oh, God fights for us. Let's join the mission. Let's be wary of the enemy. He's, he's real. He's right here. We're not afraid of the enemy. We're not hiding from the enemy. No, he... The means that God will bring his victory through, the, the, the means that he would, he would fight for them was through them. And there's certainly an application for, in lots of ways that we can see from our own life how, how faith and action are, are, sort of, are not in conflict, but how they, how they go together. Next week we're going to be a friend of mine from Isan, Thailand. So if you remember, we had a, a missionary team from in November here, one of their teammates is going to be with us next week and, and sh just sharing, just meeting y'all as a church. But one of the things that, to hear from David and his family, one of the things that they are aware of is, is, is they, 
is they are aware that the, that the mission of God will be complete and at the completion of the mission of God, there will be people from every nation and tribe and tongue and race and ethnicity that they will all be represented before the throne of God. And, 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 to hear, he, he, and he will tell you that that's why we join the mission. Because it's not because we're afraid of what doesn't happen, it's because we see the end and so we want to we join that. So listen, the, the, this idea of, of we, 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 we take, that our faith takes root and takes real action in our lives, there's a lot of things we, we could say, like, like some basic things, like listen, if you're sick, that you, you can both pray for healing and see a doctor, right? It's not, well, I either have faith or medicine, right? No, I think we can see that these aren't sort of contradictions. It means things like we can, we can apply that we have faith that God will keep every one of his own safely to the very end. And that's why we gather. And that's why we have fellowship. And that's why we sit under this book and why we worship and pursue holiness. Not because we don't have faith, but because we recognize that the means he uses to accomplish these things is through this. So our work in the mission looks like faith, but faith that trusts, that sees that God is ultimately the one who does the work and brings the fruit. And in that faith, we, we act and we watch against the enemy we are on guard and so what, what, what's it look like and just in our lives where our mission is not rebuilding the walls of a city and that we don't carry actual swords against a militant enemy surrounding us what, what does it look like what, what does it mean that we in a sense that we both labor with one hand and, and sort of are on guard with the other what, what's that what's that look like how do we fight in our context knowing the it is the lord who fights and so many ways, it's going to look different for each of us. But at the basic core, it's, it's to know that faith is not inaction on the mission or passivity on the mission, but it's their motivation to join it. So I think it looks like in parenting, praying, and parenting praying a lot. Like I'm, I'm struck by how much more than I like, ever thought I'd pray that we, you, you just pray as a parent. But it also means you... you you're faithful to put on boundaries and discipline, to have hard conversations and to admit when we're wrong because, because our hope isn't sort of that they see me as a perfect parent, but that our hope is that, they, that they're pointed to Jesus, but our hope is in our efforts. The hope isn't in the effort we put on. And, and we, we, faith looks like we, we don't hope in our effort, but we also put in all the effort and work we can to, 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 see, to see our children grow in the Lord. I think as a community, it means we pray. It means we have a faith that God has placed us here in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, with the people surrounding us for a purpose. And so we both have faith that he has placed us here strategically for his purpose on his mission and that we then, out of that faith, pursue and invite and do things like go learn their kids' names and have meals with them and that, that we recognize that the, God, that the God who is on a mission has placed us on our mission right here. And so we want to do all we can to, to, to sort of reach out to our neighbors. I think as a community of God's people, we, we have faith that God will purify his bride and that he will not lose any of his own along the way. And so in faith, we pursue one another and we fellowship and we go to this book and we sacrifice and we serve and we are at war against the enemy. And so we give no foothold to the enemy in things like we... We don't slander. 
We don't allow unforgiveness to develop. Then we don't gossip, but we protect one another and their reputation. And we don't give a foothold for, for any of Satan's devices. And we take that stuff really seriously. In our entertainment, it means that we are on guard. Because we are on guard because we recognize, hey, listen, Satan hates me. This world's values do not represent the values of this book. And my own sinful heart is so easily swayed. So we guard against what we watch and what we listen to, not because we're afraid of the world or are hiding from the world, but because we're at war with an enemy who loves to deceive us through some of these things. And I think for some, faith will simply look like continuing to fight. And you're going to fight with tears in your eyes because you have fought before and the fight hurts and it's costly and it's so tiring to just constantly guard, constantly protect, constantly pick up the shield again and again and to feel the enemy just getting closer and closer. And so for some, it's just going to be, look, I'm just going to continue the fight because I know God is the one who fights for us. So we are called to remember the Lord and to continue in the fight. And we are called to continue in the fight because with all confidence and all faith because our God fights for us and is victorious for us. We recognize that we are those who bring to the fight what, what, what they were being accused of here. We bring weakness and neediness. We have enemies inside and out we are those that cannot win the fight but we remember God and there's this amazing irony in this passage that we remember a God we seek to remember a God who is so gracious to forget we remember a God who, who always sees us and hears us and answers us and fights for us but he does all those things because in his fight for us he came, the God who is all-knowing, who is all-wise, who has every fact and who, who, knows, who knows all things, who, whose knowledge is just incalculable, the knowledge of God. And yet, Scripture says there's one thing he can't remember. He came, he sent his son on his saving mission to rescue his humanity so he could not remember any of our sins anymore. So that we would not be defined by our sin and our shame and our brokenness and our weariness. But we remember a God who only remembers his people and his, pro and his promises to his people. We remember a God who is faithful to his covenant, to all his people, all their days. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to be those who, though we have an enemy who is powerful and who is pressed against us and who wants nothing more than to destroy the mission of God and destroy the people of God. Though that is very real, we have a God who fights for us. And we have a God who is victorious for us. And so, Lord, would you help us to be those who then, in response to that, Join you ever increasingly on your mission in this church, in this community, in our families, just in our own holiness. Would we 
be those who join you in this fight as we remember you as the as the fog of war and just of life sets in in so many ways, Lord, will we be those who remember the Lord who fights for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.